Queens Health Outreach is a student-run, registered charity based on the campus of Queen's University in Kingston, Ontario. Our goal is to facilitate needs-based peer-to-peer health discussions on a local, national, and international scale. This podcast is for those who are interested in health, global health, global development, ethical engagement, and education. Join us and our special guests bi-weekly as we chat about discussions surrounding all these topics and more. We would like to thank the CFRC 101.9 and the Queen's University Faculty of Engineering and Applied Sciences for this collaboration. Additionally, we'd like to acknowledge that Queen's University is situated on traditional Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee territory. We're so grateful to be able to live, learn, and work on these lands. Hi everyone, welcome to episode three of QH On Air. My name is Rosie and I am a fourth year life sciences student at Queen's University and I'm the public relations director for QHO for this year, the 2020 and 2021 school year. I'll be your host for this episode and listen as I interview our two special guests. Our first guest is Terry Haynes, who is a mindfulness-based stress reduction teacher educated at UMass and the University of San Diego. She began with simple daily meditation and a gradual shift toward mindfulness, and she was truly amazed by the changes in her life, both mentally and physically. In addition to her work at the Kingston Mindfulness Institute and private counseling sessions, Terry is very passionate about integrating mindfulness into our education curriculum. She has completed three pilot projects for the Limestone School Board, and she works with students from grades 7 to 12. My second guest, Jenna Hickey, is a QHO alum and has gone on to work entry roles at NGOs since graduating. It is a great episode, and I hope you enjoy it and take something out of the valuable conversations I have with these two very special women. Hi, Rosie. Thank you for inviting me to be on your podcast. I think what you're doing for... um, Queen students is fabulous and really, really important and really timely. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's great to be talking with you today. Um, just to give you a bit of a background of where I have come from and why I'm a mindfulness-based stress reduction teacher. I suffered from uh, chronic pain in the form of migraines and neck pain for years. Um, when I was in university, a long, long, long time ago, <laughs> I was dropped on my head. Someone outside a bar threw me over his shoulders. Very tall, very tall person, and let go accidentally. And I landed headfirst on the concrete sidewalk. Wow. And from then on, I just kind of assumed I would heal because I had always healed from injuries. Yeah. Um, and this time I didn't. I, uh, continued to have a lot of pain in my neck and have headaches. Um, And I was severely, I had a severe head collision and and concussion and brain injury. But at that time, you didn't do anything about it. It It's a very different time than the protocol that exists today. And thank goodness it does, um, because things could have been very different for me. Having said that, that's what's led me here today. Um, I had a migraine that lasted my worst one was six months every day, all day. Um, and at the end, and I was quite a bit older at this point, it's about 10 years ago. And it was a time in my life where I was really scared, uh, for my future. I didn't know what, 
Yeah. If this was my life, uh, being in pain constantly for the rest of my life, I'm not, you know, I wasn't sure how I was going to navigate that and proceed and what that looked like is very depressing because of it. Um, so my emotions were uh, all over the place. Yeah. Uh, and so after exhausting every, every option in the medical community, to no fault of anyone's um I turned inward and I just with the help of my dog actually she was wow. a big bull mastiff beautiful beautiful awesome. uh being and awesome. I looked at her one day just sitting there and I thought how can you be so happy how can you just sit there and not need anything to be different no expectations no um you know, no dwelling or ruminating about the past, no yeah. stressing about anything to be mm -hmm. better or different. And I, it just occurred to me that I'm going to try to learn from her. Oh my <laughs> and God. so yeah. whenever I could, being a mom, a business owner, you yeah. know, a wife, uh, I would sit with my dog, Autumn, oh. my, my teacher, and I would just be, I was, wow. you know, we're human beings but our society has become human doings okay. and for the first time I sort of started to unwind what was going on in my body physically psychologically emotionally and the more I sat the better I felt and so wow. I basically learned how to meditate through my dog <laughs> wow I love that yeah and then you know, I wanted to know physiologically what was happening. How can this be? I'm not doing anything. I'm sitting here. It's not fun. It's not pretty. It's not easy, but it's making a difference. I'm feeling better physically and emotionally. Um, so then I started to read and study and, and figure out what was going on. And I came across John Kabat-Zinn's work, who is kind of the founding father of the MBSR program, the mindfulness-based stress reduction program, eight-week program, and pretty much any research that you see that's been uh, done on mindfulness uses this eight-week program. Okay. So I decided to um, learn from him. And so I went and did all my, my teacher, teacher training through John Kabat-Zinn and Saki Centrelli, who are sort of they're not even teaching anymore, but at the time, luckily they were. Um, and so became an MBSR teacher and now I'm a, a certified MBSR teacher. So I, I wanted to share yeah. what yeah. I had learned, but yeah. would, you know, I didn't really know how to do that except say, yeah. sit with your dog, you know? <laughs> so this yeah. gave me the tools to be able to actually um, be able to translate what was happening to me in a way that I can teach others to, yeah. to do the same with their suffering. Yeah, that's amazing that it started with your own journey. And then um, I feel like that kind of gives you a deeper level of empathy and, um, you know, shows you a different perspective rather than just learning about something. You actually experienced something yourself and um, then, you know, went through the process of learning how to be mindful and then, you know, kind of practicing it. So um, kind of on that note, what would you say 
is mindfulness as you know the definition of it and you know I think people sometimes are confused by the term or um you know there's so many different realms of like what mindfulness could mean probably so in your words and you know what you've experienced what do you think mindfulness is to you um yeah it's a great question because there's a lot of misconceptions right now it's being used um very widely right now and so there's a lot of misconceptions so mindfulness uh another word for for it would be consciousness okay or um paying attention or awakeness or um you know some people may say being in the zone living in the moment so it it's actually being uh fully in the moment okay experiencing it for what it is without letting thoughts of the future or past interfere with it so it's really the pure moment uh what's happening so an example would be if you touch your hand right now and listeners can do that just take one hand and touch the other hand yeah and fully um immerse yourself with what that feels like so you're fully mindful of what that feels like touch for example and we can do that with eyesight be fully aware of what we're what we're looking at shapes colors forms you know without other things interfering like oh that reminds me of or that you know or oh my gosh that that's bringing up a bad memory for me or that's making me think about you know Christmas and all the exams I have to do you know it's it's staying in that moment for a period of time and when we can do that, we get all kinds of benefits. Wow. No, that's so, amazing. So paying attention to the present moment without judgment yep. and without other interfering thoughts. Okay. Good to know. I, it definitely, um, you know, clears things up. I think, you know, it can be unclear what exactly that means, but I think it's definitely, like you said, so being present, kind of trying to, um, you know, focus on what's happening in the now and not um, letting fears or doubts or worries kind of, um, interfere with that, um, feeling. Um, so that's great to know. You started off just even talking about, you know, simply touching your hand, but, and I think, you know, some people always think that mindfulness is necessarily equivalent to meditation. Um, but it's not always meditation, right? So it can be just kind of everything you do. So, how can someone just start being mindful, you know, um, in their everyday lives? Yeah. So the difference between mindfulness, uh, and meditation is mindfulness is a state of being that we are in when we're fully conscious or fully paying attention to a moment. So it's a state of being, and it's the very opposite of your mind being full of stuff. (laughs) So that confuses people too, (laughs) (laughs) which is that's being mindless, right? Right. Um, So it's a state of being it's, it's, you know, that's that what that is. And then meditation is the practice to live more mindfully. Okay. In our moments outside of our practice of whatever it is we're doing to practice, to be more present. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. So you kind of can, you can practice meditation um, when you're not just living your everyday life, but you can also practice mindfulness just when you're laughing with your friends or 
cooking your meal or eating your meal or reading a book or um, listening to music or walking. It's kind of, and then meditation is, you know, an extra kind of practice of it, but it can be more so when you're just by yourself and um, I guess in a more quiet and kind of that typical um, stereotypical, um, you know, vision of what meditation is, but um, you could technically do practice mindfulness any when you're doing anything, right? That's yes, we can be practicing mindfulness at any time. Anytime we can call it dropping in. So okay. anytime we consciously go, wait a second, I'm way off in my thoughts. Yeah. I'm not paying attention. And we know through um, research that we only pay attention to what we're doing 50% of the time. That's the average amount, no matter what it is we're doing. So, yeah. so um, studies have taken people with really important jobs and, <laughs> and they've studied their attention um, span. And 50% of the time, we actually aren't fully conscious and aware of what we're doing. Yeah. And so that's where, you know, there's this huge ability to change that. What they also noticed in this research is, you know, they had an app and every time, Every so often during the day, this app would remind the person in the study or ask the question rather, what are you doing right now? And then you answer that. And were you actually paying attention? Oh my gosh, no, I was thinking about my exam coming up. I was thinking about my date tomorrow night. You know, I wasn't actually doing X, Y, Z half of the time. And then in addition to that, they also asked them what their mood was like. Okay. And on every instance, people that were fully conscious, fully aware, the 50% of the time, yep. were much happier. There was a lot more joyfulness if they were paying attention versus yep. if they weren't. So this is, this is where, why it's so important that we live more in the present moment, because it affects our joy. For sure. And not joy in that, oh my gosh, I just got a new great coat for the winter, <laughs> you know, or, oh my gosh, I got a 99% on my exam. Not that kind of joy, yeah. but this underlying um, disability to feel blissful, light, yeah. and peaceful. Yeah. Despite what's happening, because we can't change stress from happening in our lives. Yeah. But we can learn to be able to accept it and yeah. um, and respond to it versus react to it. Right. Right. And this, this is what happens and shows up the more often mm -hmm. that we are actually paying attention. Yeah. And it's not something that's easy to do if we yeah. don't have a program. Right. So it's like saying, yeah, I want to be more fit. I want to, you know, I want to run right. a marathon right. in a couple of weeks or a couple of months yeah. and then not do anything to work up to that. Right. right? It's, it's, um, using very particular parts of our brain right. to be living more mindfully. And technology sadly has made it even more difficult to live in the present moment because, yeah, sure. you know, every time we may feel a difficult emotion, yeah. that's always there to self-soothe us, which right. actually at the time may feel like that, but it's, it's not, it's, right. we need to be actually coming up close to our difficult emotions. Right. be present with them, be aware of them, and they'll move on. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think it's definitely interesting because it, it sounds to me like kind of a bit of a, a cycle or like a, a circle where, you know, 
the mindfulness and being present will hopefully kind of increase the likeliness that you'll feel joy, but also maybe the joy and um, lack of judgment on yourself will increase you to be more mindful and then it kind of maybe increases itself like it kind of circulates around itself you do you know what I mean like it kind of seems mm-hmm. kind of one big um theme happening and that's super interesting and I think you know people can definitely just get caught up with kind of getting distracted or feeling busy in their minds but um it's it's and it's hard to sometimes quiet that down but probably practicing it is what makes a difference and not feeling any judgment right exactly not having any judgment at all and imagine what life would feel like if if we didn't judge anything or anyone for sure no I like that yeah like so so that's a great goal to have to add to our our, uh, bucket list you know, in fact, the most important, I just, the Dalai Lama just did a, a summit and uh, he's a spiritual leader um, of Tibet who has had to leave Tibet when he was young, but still leads him in his way. And he's, um, you know, his big thing is if everyone practices kindness and a non-judgmental attitude, things will be very different in this world. Sure, for sure. Kindness to ourselves yeah, and then kindness to everybody else yeah, without judging, that. without blaming, yeah. without, you know, these yeah. negative assumptions, without taking things so personally. Yes. But to do that, we have to be aware. We have to have awareness of okay. what we are thinking from moment to moment. Right. You know, our, our, is our mind, which is in ourself, our mind is, is uh, a sense like uh, feeling or seeing or smelling or tasting. Our mind is thinking, but we are the one that is the person who observes all these things. Interesting. Including thinking. Right. Okay. Yeah. So if we're sitting here and we are, you know, thinking of something in the future, that's, we can choose to say no I'm not going there I'm staying in the present because that's going to serve me well right now going off into a place that I have no control over we can't predict the future and we can't change the past so if we are stuck in our allowing our our mind to take us to those places then we are doing a disservice to our emotional Mm -hmm. um, health and our physical health because our mind affects our body right Right. So um, it's getting, it's being aware of our thoughts and our thoughts. It doesn't matter when we're in our meditation practice, if our thoughts are going crazy, we can just see them as, you know, clouds passing by and storms and, oh my God, my mind is so crazy right now, full of all these neurotic, crazy thoughts, but they're just thoughts. It's a computer. And if we can sit back and go, oh, it's, you know, not actually get swept up into them. Right. You can then just learn to, you know, instead of stay staying focused on our thoughts, we can all of a sudden move to focus on our breath, for example. Yeah. Right. I choose to be aware of my breath in this moment because yeah. being aware of my thoughts isn't helping me. I choose to be aware of the beautiful colors of the leaves right now. Right. Because my thoughts are not helping me right now. Right. Right. I choose to be aware of anything else, what I'm eating, you know, the way the shower feels on my body, 
yeah. or um, washing the dishes. Yeah. I choose to be aware of these things yeah. or the lecture I'm listening to yeah. or my friend talking where all I have to do is listen. Right. Yeah. No, and you know, amazing. And I think, you know, we can all have that reminder to try and just practice being present more and um, having lack of judgment for ourselves because it is, it is normal for our brains to drift off and it's normal for us to have those thoughts, but it, it just, you know, trying to bring ourselves back to the, almost to the ground. Um, in, in kind of saying that, do you find, you know, your experience with um, counseling people and um, maybe in your everyday life as well, do you think it's right for everyone? Do you think that everyone's able to practice it or access it or, um, you know, have experienced the effects from it uh, that you did? Or um, do you think that maybe it's, maybe some people are just um, a little bit more able to, to practice it? Do you know what I mean? Like, do you think it's some it, or most? Um, what do you think? It's available to every single human. And you, and this is another thing you hear a lot. Oh, mindfulness isn't for me. Meditation isn't for me. I have such a busy mind. I can never do that. You know, I can never be silent. I can never, you know, it's, um, that's all a fallacy. Anybody can choose to, to pay attention to what they're doing. Anyone can do that. For sure. And anyone can get better at that. Right. It's like, we can get better at running from one kilometer up to, you know, a full marathon or whatever it is, we choose to try to get better. But this is a big thing. We have to participate in this. It doesn't just happen. We don't just say, I'm choosing to be more mindful now (laughs) and not have a program to help us get there. You know, Um, we have to consciously make a decision that we are going to do things in our day to live more in the present moment. Right. And that may be to limit time on, uh, on our devices, Mm -hmm. you know, stay off social media as much as possible. It's a huge recommendation for lots and lots of reasons. And, and, Mm -hmm. um, unless it's something that serves you well and notice that notice how being on social media makes you feel right. Go into, you know, the emotion and and your physical being to find that out, not in your mind. Um, and to, uh, yeah, it's available to everyone because everyone can do that. Everybody can meditate. Meditation simply means to just either sit or lay down and pay attention to what's actually going on, either a physical sensation in your body that's happening, you know, whether it's noticing your heart beating, whether it's just your breath, noticing your breath going in and out of your body. Yeah. noticing sounds in in the room but not needing to you know do anything with the sounds right noticing um temperature yeah. noticing the clothes on the, your skin or yourself sitting in a chair and then and that's if you choose to do it silently my recommendation is that if you're starting a practice to be guided right so listen to guided meditation practices yeah. and there's so many apps right now yeah um, insight app is a free one, free one. Okay. It's one I use and you can put in the amount of time you want to sit for, and you can do it silently, or you can be guided. Like I said, I recommend being guided to start. Um, and any amount of time is a good amount of time. The key to, um, participating in this 
in yourself, in the health, the better health. It's called participatory medicine when we do this because we're participating in, in having a better physical and psychological yeah. health or well-being. Uh, and so that participation is, is doing it every day. Mm-hmm. You know, you wouldn't say that you're going to brush your teeth once a week and yeah. have True. good, healthy teeth, right? Or eat once a week. Very so true. this is what we do for our brain. Yeah. And it's really, really important now that our society has gone so crazy, crazy busy. Mm-hmm. And, and so it's something that we want to do every day, even if we do it for one minute or two okay. minutes or three minutes or an hour a day. Okay. It's, it's, uh, there's lots of things out there. My website has meditations you can listen to as well. Awesome. I'll definitely make sure to share that with your website as well. And so it's good. I was going to ask you, you know, what you kind of recommend, but if you know any amount of time you're saying is, is beneficial. So, and I think going off what you were saying with meditation, like same thing as what you were touching on before, a lot of people I've heard say, you know, I, I can't meditate. I, I can't just quiet my thoughts. I, my mind is too busy. And I, I think too much about, you know, what's going on. And, you know, so technically you're saying your mind doesn't actually need to be blank. That's not what you're saying, right? Like you're not just. In, in fact, that's an impossibility. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> because even yeah. if we are truly focused in on our breath, there's my breath going in and there's my breath leaving my body there's my breath and noticing all of the intricacies of breathing the body being breathed on its own all the fascinating aspects of the breath that's keeping us alive for example there's a lot there um so that's thinking yeah yeah that's that's taking the experience of breathing and then and then processing it in the mind and then having information about it. Right. So it's impossible to clear the mind. Yes. And then even, and if I am focusing on my breath, my mind is still drifting to the future and the past and fantasies and ruminating and wishing things were different. And, you know, that's still always going to happen. Yes. That's, that's a, that's a fallacy that you sit down to meditate and your mind should be blank. That's, you know, and that's what I wanted to ask you because I think a lot of people think that, and then they think that they're failing at it when it's not, that's not actually the goal. The goal is to focus on the present moment. And I think I remember kind of similar to the metaphor used with the clouds, but I remember hearing in a guided meditation that, you know, your thoughts are kind of like the cars driving by and you're kind of sitting on a park bench and you're just watching them go by, but you know, you're not interacting with the cars, you're kind of just watching them drive by instead. So I, I think it's important that, you know, people realize that and it's not, you know, that you can't, you think that you're failing if you have these thoughts come in, it's more just trying to not interact with them. And, and like you said, ruminate on something and, and then, and bring your mind back to focus on the breath or, or your, uh, your dog panting or whatever it is. Right. <laughs> right but, um your yeah. housemates making noise whatever yeah. it is yeah yeah, yeah exactly awesome. perfect so yeah every time we drift off of yeah. whatever it is we're paying attention to yeah. when we notice we've come back yep that's that's being successful right yeah 
And it doesn't matter how long we go off and when we come back, the fact we come back, that's being successful. No, that's 100% of the time. Perfect. Um, so you could talk a little bit about your experience, you know, after your chronic pain, but overall, what types of health benefits have you seen from my, you know, whether it's yourself or your clients uh, practicing mindfulness, you know, can it help with more than one aspect of health, you know, um, physical health, mental health? Um, you know, how, yeah. what have you seen? Yeah, what basically when we go into a state of just being, yeah. when we allow our body to just be and not need anything to be different, not putting any expectations on it um, to be anything but what it is in this moment and just show up in that place of wakefulness, our body has the best chance to heal. Wow. And to, to increase our immune system, because we're just allowing it to be. I, I equate yeah. it to taking a high-powered uh, engine or a sports car right. and never parking it in the mechanic's shop for it to do work on. Right. But yeah. just go, go, go on the highway nonstop. It's going to crash. Right. right. It will absolutely crash. Yeah. At some point, it's going to break down. Yeah. It's too much. Right. And so we need to do this to our body and to our minds every day yeah. to have a healthy mind and a healthy body. Yeah. Um, it, it affects us, you know, because when we put our mind in this place too, of not needing to get caught up and doing and react to what's happening in our mind or in our lives. So when we can just kind of take a break from that mm -hmm. where there's nothing to do and there's nowhere to be. And know that our body's doing everything it needs to do by just putting ourselves in this place. Awesome. Yeah. No, it's, that's a great way to say it. And I think it's so interesting because I think it's all so interconnected and um, we don't realize that we think we can just, you know, eat healthy and that will help our physical health. But then um, I think it's all kind of connected together and, it's just one way, this is one way to kind of um, help heal those other aspects that they may be like someone may be struggling with. And so um, another question basically is what role does it play um, in, you know, someone's mental health? Because we did, you did touch a little bit on this, you know, like going to the gym or exercising, but, and I remember, sorry, it's a little side note. I remember reading a book and them saying that, you know, we have a whole physical health routine that we may do to help, um, you know, get better, but we should have a kind of mental health routine. And I think if you're struggling with your mental health, you know, you do need to reach out for help with either social support or um, professional support. Um, so there's so many different aspects, but what role does mindfulness play in that? Is it a coping mechanism or is it kind of just um you know helping almost be present to allow those other techniques to help heal your mental health is like what kind of role does mindfulness play in your overall mental health um you know exercise let's say exercise routine <laughs> right yeah um so having a, a practice um, and practicing living in the present, paying attention more often, can affect us in many parts of our brain so that we can, when we're meditating, for example, or when we are paying attention to nature, if we are fully 
attentive and really focusing in on even just a leaf. If we put a leaf on our hand and we pay, set a timer and pay attention to it for more than 90 seconds, we will secrete serotonin, which is a chemical that's a lasting happy chemical. Yeah, interesting. Or petting a, the fur of an animal. Yeah, yeah. For more than nine and not petting it and thinking about something else, but right. really thinking about what it is you're doing. And it does, it's not easy when we start and none of this is easy. It goes against the grain of, of the busy mind, the mind wanting to be in control. Sure. And this is where, you know, depression and anxiety are negative um, emotions. Mm -hmm. We don't want to have them because of the way they make us feel physically. Mm -hmm. We don't mind the way joy and excitement and oh, that feels great in us. We don't have a problem with that. But we, uh, for some reason, haven't been taught how to accept um, the negative emotions in the same yeah. way positive. And as human beings, we're supposed to feel everything. For sure. And so, you know, anxiety, if we have a chronic anxiety or, or depression, a lot of it stems, the core root of it is not being able to face sadness and anxiety and there's chemical and there's lots of other things that are happening as well. But for a lot of us, um, a meditation practice can be curative. Har Harvard University is, uh, has been doing studies for years and they've proven that uh, a daily meditation of 45 minutes yeah. a day is as effective as an antidepressant, for example. Wow. And this isn't for anyone to try on their own no, without, without taking courses and programs. That's not what I'm saying. And thank <laughs> God for antidepressants and anti-anxiety yeah. um, interventions that we have. Sure. But for example, if we are feeling sadness and we think that's wrong, right? we do a lot of damage to ourselves in our right. mind. Judgment, 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 right. which which just perpetuates that feeling of sadness. Um, there's something wrong with me. I'm not enough. I need to be better. I need to be happier. Any expectation we place on changing an emotion that's normal yeah. creates this huge havoc. And then it becomes habit to feel that way. Yeah. Because we're so afraid not to. And then it's a much bigger deal. Yeah. So when we are practicing meditation, for example, and sadness shows up yeah. as an emotion when we're just sitting there. And we don't have to do anything with sadness. We can just watch it. There's sadness. I'm not going to figure out why it's there. I'm just going to notice it in my body. Interesting. Yeah. I'm going to notice fear. I know an, I have an exam coming up and I'm really uh, anxious about it. Mm -hmm. Well, where? Where is that showing up in the body? Tend to that. Right. And once we can tend to that physical feeling of anxiety in our body yeah. and go right into the body and feel it and allow it to be there, it will move on 100% of the time. Mm -hmm. wow. The word motion is in emotion for a reason. Yeah. But if we ignore it and we think it's bad and I don't want to feel this way and we choose to right. use other coping mechanisms because we don't know what to do with this. Right. Right. And drugs and alcohol and um for sure. You know, other kinds of things, which God love us. We're human. We're trying to, yeah. to sort this out the best way we can. There's no judgment to any of that. For sure. um, but meditation is, is a way 
yeah. that there's no harmful side effects. It's free, yeah. Yeah. but we have to participate to do the work okay. and it's not easy. Yeah. It's simple. Just pay yeah. attention to what's going on, but it's not easy. Yes. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for all of your um, insight there. I think super eye-opening for anybody listening. I think, you know, it can be, it's a, like you said, it's available to everyone. It's free. It's just yeah. you being with yourself. And, you know, I think it's important that we make sure we seek out support when we need it. Um, but it's a good way to try and reflect and um, check in with ourselves every day. And I think that, like you said, there's no, there's no harm in trying it out. And you just have to kind of put in a little bit of work for it to start making difference. And um, I hope that anybody listening can uh, learn something from this and from you. So thank you so much for joining me today. And I, I really appreciate taking you taking time out of your day to chat with me. Um, and uh, yeah, I really admire everything you're doing. So uh, continue and I'm sure it'll be very important in this, in this day as well with everything going on. So yeah. Absolutely. Uh, thanks for having me. Of course. And anytime. <laughs> Welcome back everyone. I'm here with a guest, um, Jenna Hickey and super excited. She was a previous member of QHO. And so I just wanted to start off, you know, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Where are you from? What program did you do at Queens? And what are some of your interests? Sure. Thanks so much, Rosie, for having me. I'm so excited to chat today. Um, so yeah, my name's Jenna. I graduated from Queens in 2019. I uh, did my bachelor's degree in kinesiology. I am from a small town outside of Ottawa, and which is where I'm currently living. And yeah, my interests, I love running. I love listening to podcasts. I'm a subscriber to QHO on air. Awesome. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I'm a big, big reader. And biggest, biggest thing is my spending time with my friends and family. Oh, that's awesome. I love all those things as well. <laughs> um, and so with QHO, what, when did you start and then what roles did you take on as, you know, you like throughout your years at Queens? Sure. So I joined QHO in my second year at Queens. I was a kin student and I had heard about it through really positive word of mouth. Uh, and I was really interested in the health aspect of the organization. I thought that uh, health as a proponent of positive outcomes is so valid. And the peer-to-peer -peer aspect of the organization, I, I found really unique among Queen's clubs. And I also really, really liked the, uh, the principle of acting in a needs-based capacity. I spent a lot of time on the QHO website in the summer before second year um, <laughs> deciding to apply, but I, I really liked a lot of things about the organization. So I applied, I interviewed, and I was placed on the Kenya Initiative. So I was a peer educator with five, um, five peers, and we we were trained by our wonderful IDs and did our initiative in the spring in Mogori County of Kenya. Um, and then in my third year and second year on the organization, I was the Kenya Initiative Director briefly. Uh, there was some politically driven uh, concern surrounding 
returning to Kenya for that specific year. So ultimately the organization made the decision to uh, place the initiative on hold, which I personally was incredibly <laughs> distraught, but you know, it's a student run organization. It, it makes a lot of sense and it's a totally valid uh, reason. So during the re remainder of that year, I sort of just operated as a general executive member. I took on a bunch of additional projects and stayed in communication with our, our contacts in Kenya just to keep that window open. And then uh, at the end of that year, I applied to be co-director in my fourth year at Queen's and I was given the position. It was the most incredible learning experience I have ever had. I had a brilliant co-director to work alongside. It was humbling, it was rewarding um, and really, really fascinating. A lot of the policy work that we were able to, to make some, some forward steps on. Awesome. No, that's amazing. Oh, and now I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> now I'm on your, um, your advisory committee as well. So I'm really excited to be awesome. a part of that. Yeah, no, that's amazing. I know we're definitely using this year to kind of evaluate, you know, the NGO itself and, um, you know, continue to like move forward. And I think it's super important to not only look forward, but to look back. So I'm mm -hmm. sure you're helping with that. And did you have a specific, you know, favorite memory from initiative or, you know, your time on QHO. I'm sure you have a lot. <laughs> I'm sure there's lots in there, but if you can narrow it down, is there anything I, you want to share? Yeah, I do have so many and it is really hard um, <laughs> to choose a single one, but QHO as a whole, um, I think just sort of the the way that your peers kind of become akin to to family members and you really grow alongside these people and it's it's just it's very very amazing but in terms of like one specific standout memory um I will, I will, I will refer to one from initiative. So we were having a, <laughs> we were having an outreach day within our community and it was a big sports event. We had free HIV testing services and counseling services for anyone who attended. And um, Chris, my teaching partner and I had previously done a lesson, one of our many lessons on HIV uh, and it was more focused on treatment at that point. And in one of the secondary schools in, in the area that we were teaching in or educating in. So we had one of our students come up to, to us on that, uh, that outreach day and ask about something that we had talked about in the lesson. So we talked about um, pre and post exposure prophylaxis, which just for a little context, pre-exposure uh, pre is a pill that can be taken every day for high-risk populations and then post is uh, something that can be administered after potential exposure to HIV. It has about a 72-hour window that it has to be taken yeah. in to be effective. But yeah. anyhow, we had one of our students come up to us and ask um, about that and if we had, if the counselors had it at the event and he was, he was, he shared with us that he was in a relationship with a young woman who was HIV positive and he had never heard of those topics those things before so he was very very excited for us to connect him with the health workers oh that's awesome <laughs> how old was he like um he was a secondary student so uh mm -hmm. it, it does range yeah, um yeah. the, the sort of in and out of school ages um right. vary just culturally but right. I he was about grade 10 Oh yeah, mm -hmm. it's just so eye-opening for them, and 
I love that they felt comfortable enough to come up to you and ask you about that further. So um, it just really demonstrates the role of a peer educator. And it's, you know, similar to a peer and also, you know, there's mutual learning there. So um, Mm -hmm. I love that story. That's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Kind of transitioning, you know, what do you think in your opinion, I mean, from what you learned either in school or from QHO and um, maybe now your experience in the workforce, but what do you think is global health and kind of what did you learn from, you know, your initiative or QHO or Queens and how is that definition in your brain kind of um, encapsulate that? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's a really fluid uh, definition yeah, and yeah. health health is is so multidisciplinary as an entity. So it it really does have to be considered through so many different intersectional lenses and and yeah. global health in, in so much that it it makes it quite difficult to yeah, define sure. but but at its core, I would I would say it's about um, working towards achieving health equity at its baseline right. all around the world. Um, so whether that be improving, preventing, mitigating, um, what have you. But yeah. yeah, I mean, the standard sort of programmatic focus areas tend to zero in on like water, sanitation, hygiene, yeah. which is wash colloquially, yeah. uh, sexual health, reproductive justice, maternal yeah. child health, nutrition, things like this. But yeah. the part that that really resonates with me and continues to draw me in and yeah. make me feel so passionate about it is how cyclical health can be as a proponent of other outcomes in life and the reverse, how other outcomes can have yeah. such a significant impact on, on one's health. Um, yeah. And particularly, you know, on, on initiative, sexual and reproductive health was something that we, we spent a lot of time focusing on. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's crazy to think about, but women who don't have access to contraceptives or ho- quality health care, yeah. they don't have the autonomy to decide when and if to have children. And that can lead to, if they're a young woman, having to leave school, if it can lead to ending up in without or in a no low, or in a low paying job. And yeah or pregnancy complications, things like this. And it sort of, it ends up in, it could end up in poverty and the same could be true. But um, yeah, I mean, the same with education, like education can be such a positive factor towards health. So it's really, really interesting to me. It's obviously a very timely discussion with the health crisis that we're living through. Uh Uh, But yeah, I mean, I think a lot of advances have been made, but we're definitely going through a bit of a reversal of progress with COVID. And mm-hmm. um, so like the global health of the future in my mind is, is all about innovation and yeah. really making use of technology and creating scalable and, and replicable solutions. Yeah, I'm, I was going to add to what you're saying. I mean, I think, you know, I used to only think of health as, you know, going to the hospital and getting treatment for something, but mm-hmm. really it starts with the air quality in your house or your, like you said, autonomy or the education you have or the social network you have, or Mm -hmm. it's not just the absence of disease. It's also all these social determinants of health, which is the conditions we work and live in and are born in. And it's just same thing to me. It's, it's mind blowing, you know, Mm -hmm. that something so um, fundamental to us can have such a big implication on our lives like you said so I love that definition I think it's it's just such an interesting Thanks. concept yeah no and I, I think that's important to um consider and look at 
the bigger picture too. So mm-hmm. um, in saying that, what have you gone on to do and what have your roles been um, since you graduated in um, NGOs? Sure. So um, I was co-director my fourth year and then I decided that I didn't want to immediately sort of pursue a higher education. I am a really big proponent of experiential learning and I would actually say that I have learned more in um, volunteering and working than I ever have in school. So in, in my su- subject areas of interest, I'll, I'll put that caveat in there. But um, mm-hmm. so after I graduated, I worked with, I signed a contract to work with the Equip Hubs project, which is, um, was, it's now ended actually, but it was a collaborative effort between uh, Canada World Youth and Youth Challenge International, so two Canadian-based uh, NGOs. And the general goal of the project was to transform the economic trajectory of youth around the world. So there were different hubs, they called them, in uh, Bolivia, Ghana, Indonesia, Peru, Senegal, and Tanzania. I was placed as a facilitation and training assistant in the Tamale Hub, so I was in northern Ghana. And my primary role with that was really just assisting the training coordinator uh, in the delivery of training sessions, working through, you know, extra extra sessions and uh, working with participants during drop-in hours. So things like resume writing, uh, mock interviews, running focus groups, things like that. Uh, But it was also really interesting because the project was ending, it was nearing the end of its five-year lifespan. So it was a really big transition process. So handing things off to the local partner who had been working alongside um, the Equip Hubs project the entire time. So it was very like very policy and and documentation face uh, focused, which was super interesting. And also just a massive success. I think if, if something can be sustainably passed off and continued by a local partner organization, resounding success, so exciting. For sure. Um, so um, I'm now working at Care Canada, and we are an international NGO. We work in a multitude of programmatic areas, including uh, health and nutrition, food and farming, earning and saving, climate justice, and emergency humanitarian response, which are really, really interesting, especially in the context that we are living in. And all of our programming is done with uh, an underlying emphasis on women and girls, not exclusively. I I feel important to say that, but it is the the main focus and very, very proud. It's so inspiring to be there. And lastly, I'll just, I'll just really quickly, more recently, I took on a volunteer role. I was really missing volunteering. I love it. And it's been about a year since I since I last held a volunteer role. So I saw an opportunity come up with Girl Up, which is a United Nations Foundation campaign. And they focus on global gender issues, advocacy, leadership, things like this, really, really enabling um, girls and young women to explore issues and, and form opinions and have a voice and make wow. an impact, things like that. So they they were hiring their their Canadian executive team and I applied to that and I've only just started so I can't provide too much insight into that but I'm very excited yeah that's amazing honestly all those positions you took on I think sound you know so eye-opening and you have such a really interesting path to me and it's you know so unique and I think like you said you're learning so much just by by doing and not always in a classroom but I'm sure 
whatever you go on to do will be great. And it really shows, you know, like someone who started off as a queen student in kinesiology and Mm -hmm. probably started off in a more like physical health passion um, or with a physical health passion. And then it kind of, you know, evolved and now you've kind of started to branch out and see what's out there. And uh, all those initiatives, like all those organizations sound amazing and like they're doing such great things and I've never even heard of them. So I'd love to go look them up now. Definitely. (laughs) Yeah. So um, going on, like with your experience with NGOs, what do you find, um, you know, either firsthand, you did mention when you can create a local partner that Mm -hmm. makes it sustainable. Um, So on top of that, do you think there's any other aspects that make something, make an NGO or an organization uh, really impactful and sustainable, right? And not just, um, just the impacts it having just for when they're there or the Mm -hmm. one intervention, but uh, like lasting longer than that. Um, yeah, that's a super important topic and yeah. it's a tough one. It really yeah. is. I, I vividly remember um, QHO used to ask a question about sustainability in our interview yeah. process. And yeah. I, I remember calling my parents afterward and saying, I, I didn't get it. I, yeah. I don't I don't understand. I yeah. definitely oh, didn't get this position. Too. Honestly, I did an interview in, in first year and they asked me that and I was like, um, yeah, it's a know. tricky like, one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I, I definitely credit QHO with exposing me to that sort of critical thinking and putting that into perspective for me. But back to your question. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think, yeah, I mean, at, at its baseline, sustainability, it, it speaks to an organization's ability on kind of an ongoing and continual basis to adhere to its mission and vision and continue to work effectively uh, alongside its partners and stakeholders and everyone really that it has a a responsibility to. Mm -hmm. Um, Obviously a huge part of that is, is financial sustainability for sort of the bigger NGOs. That's, that's a huge component for all NGOs really. Um, But yeah, like I said, I think the keys really sit within the realm of, of strong partnerships Uh, continual monitoring and evaluation, adaptation, and, and willingness to pivot. Yeah. Um, and then just to sort of, to bring it back to the local um, thing that I was speaking to earlier, I think mm-hmm. what could make an organization most impactful is um, an organization that knows how to, or is working towards acting as an enabler or an intermediary, supporting local CSOs or smaller actors in the development space to let, let that sort of lead a really, really local response. That's truly, yeah. Yeah. That's truly impactful. So um, yeah, I mean, support from, from the global North can come by way of advocacy, the channeling of funds, providing technical expertise, things like this. I think that's sort of where the most uh, impact potential lies, but Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, I I say all of the stuff about sustainability and, and impact with with a grain of salt, because I do think the issue of relevance can get tied into that sometimes. And I don't think sustainability or impact should ever be framed into what is best for the NGO or for its relevance or things like that. Um, It should really be focused on where the most impact can be had and how you can be the best enabler. Yeah, no, I love all of that. It's amazing (laughs) so much. And yeah, even just to add what you're saying, I think everything you said, like financial stability, uh, Mm -hmm. stability, 
all those other factors. I think one thing that I, you know, learned about was needs-based. Like I never knew that term before, but I think, you know, like you said, using the partners and evaluating what do they need and how can we help that rather than just assuming that we know what they need Mm -hmm. um, probably also plays a role in how sustainable an intervention would be. Um, Totally. It's all, yeah, I think it's all about like reconceiving power dynamics. I think it's at the crux of of everything. And like working together and not, you know, taking, Mm -hmm. taking on yourself. But um, yeah, I think those are all such great things you talked about. And, you know, kind of our last point, I know you mentioned there's lots of change happening right now. And I know you wanted to maybe touch on some of the improvements or um, you know, conversations happening in NGOs right now and the global development sector. And um, if you had any last kind of comments about that, feel free to um, go on as long as you want. <laughs> Definitely. Um, I mean, yeah, this is this is a crazy time for, for everyone, but obviously as well for the, the charitable landscape, the international development, global health, humanitarian aid sector. Um, I, was, I was on a, a session earlier this year and Melinda Gates was the speaker and she said, you know, you never want to waste a crisis. And I, that really struck me because I was like, what a, what a funny way to, to look at a crisis. That's so true. It's a really, and it is a really integral time for the sector because a lot of things are being sort of brought to light and, you know, they're, they're not new issues by any means. They're issues that are underlying and have been very, people have been aware of for quite some time, but the COVID pandemic, you know, it's, it's revealing inequities that have been percolating for a really long time, marginalizations, vulnerabilities, things like this. And the Black Lives Matter movement, the movement towards racial justice is really re-identifying structural problems at the root of development and aid and and sort of identifying that institutionalized racism and unequal power dynamics that are reinforced through it. So yeah, I mean, I, I personally am so excited to be a part of to be entering the sector at, at this pivotal time. I think um, Georgia and Annalise have also been so incredible at really presenting uh, this moment for the potential that it elicits for QHO. I think there's yeah. so much that can be done. Um, and yeah, it's, it's a really, I mean, it's definitely going to take time, a lot of time for things to change, but the desire for change is really palpable and it's a really exciting environment. So I, I think some of the some of the changes that are being moved towards, we've spoken a little bit about them, but yeah. uh, lo- local actor autonomy, you know, that's a huge yeah. one. And it, just understanding that it's the responsibility of institutions with, with capital and with resources to act as enablers and intermediaries and avenues for that technical and financial support. So I, I think that it's a fantastic area and sector for if people are interested in working. It's a great, great time. Um, super, super interesting and inspiring to be a part of. And if anyone else is is interested in sort of that reframing of the colonialist narrative and money and power in the development space, another podcast, in addition to this one, of course, um, to listen to is uh, Rethinking Humanitarianism. It's a uh, podcast by the, the New Humanitarian. It's uh, Awesome. journalist sort of 
run um, yeah. or company. And it's a fantastic podcast. I totally okay. recommend. Yeah. And I, I, I think what you were saying and what, you know, you touched on are such important conversations and, you know, there, it can feel overwhelming, but I think just starting with a conversation can, mm-hmm. can lead to, you know, small acts and that can lead to bigger decisions and it can, you know, lead to a lot more than just this conversation. So mm-hmm. thank you so much for all your insight and My pleasure. Had so much fun. I hope, <laughs> um, you know, you're continuing to listen to QH on air. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and even Thanks. you know, you're not um, the co-director anymore. You're still uh, in our hearts. <laughs> and, and likewise, very yeah. much. <laughs> it's been such a pleasure, Rosie. Thank you so much. No problem. Thank you so much for joining me. And that's all we have today, guys. I hope you enjoyed this episode and tune in next time.